0: Think globally, act locally When it comes to the R&D tax credit It's without a doubt an international asset, but also plays a pivotal role in grassroots entrepreneurship. On this episode of Fiona's R&D Tax Credit podcast, we're examining state-level R&D tax credits and why they are critical for growing businesses. Joining us on this episode is Catherine Fazio, one of the authors of the study, The Impact of State-Level Research and Development Tax Credits on the Quantity and Quality of Entrepreneurship in Economic Development Quarterly. Catherine is also a lecturer at Boston University's Questrom School of Business, cross-border solutions, director of R&D tax incentives. Raheem Walji will be leading this discussion, and I'm going to hand things off to him right now. But first, Catherine, thank you so much for being with us on today's program.
1: Terrific. Well, thank you. This is Kathy, and I'm delighted to be here and answer any questions.
2: Excellent. Thank you, Kathy. In terms of today's discussion, I wanted to start With the authors themselves, right? So it looks like, you know, in terms of the the study itself done by uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about the school and why it's such a leader in innovation and research in terms of what drew you to your area of study? So can you give us a little bit of background about that?
1: Absolutely. Well, MIT, as you know, is a center of entrepreneurship and, in particular, innovation driven entrepreneurship. So, my co author, Scott Stern, is a professor of entrepreneurship with a focus on startups that aspire to achieve exponential growth. And when this research started, Jorge Guzman, another co-author who is now a professor at Columbia, was getting his PhD at MIT. And I was directing the MIT Innovation Initiatives Lab uh, for Innovation, Science, and Policy. Um, So building on, Jorge Guzman's dissertation research and Scott's expertise and working through the lab that I was directing at that point, we decided to kind of take this research and think really hard about how might we extend it to make it actionable for policymakers. And it was the combination of that in you know the unique center that was MIT or is MIT that really got us
2: started. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, that overview. First off, congratulations on the published study, right? The impact of state-level research and development tax credits on the quality and quantity of entrepreneurship. Definitely seems to be the first of its kind as there hasn't really been a study that's looked at the effect of state R&D credits on new firms. So what motivated you and your team to pioneer this work?
1: Well, thank you for the congratulations. We were excited to do it and also to, to build on a lot of work that had been done kind of in the general area of the impact of tax systems on the formation of new enterprises and then actually make a contribution by looking specifically at the impact of state-level R&D tax credits on kind of the quantity and quality of startup formation. So what we did is we took our research, something that we call the Startup Cartography Project, which is available more generally online that leverages business registration records as well as predictive analytics to give a new lens into startup formation. And we intersected that research with a new database called the Panel Database on Incentives and Taxes that had just come out. And that's really what made this research possible. So. Through the startup cartography project, what we can do is we can look at business registrations, new business registrations, and see if what founding choices signal in terms of growth intention. And that allows us to do some modeling around the type of startup formation that's happening and to put that differently, what our research shows in a startup cartography project is that new businesses have different growth aspirations from the start. Most businesses that are founded aim to be successful local businesses, which is fantastic. But a very small fraction of those firms aim for exponential growth, aim to be the next Amazon or the next Microsoft. And firms make different choices early in their days, which kind of signal what they're aiming for. If we can kind of read those signals and map them to growth outcomes, then we can kind of look at the growth potential of startup formation in a given region. And that's really what the Startup Cartography Project does. And so when we combined that with this new panel database on incentives and taxes, we were able to say, okay, let's look at the introduction of state level R&D tax credits and let's evaluate whether that introduction changed the composition of entrepreneurship in these different regions or had an impact on how entrepreneurship overall performed over time. And nobody had really been able to do that before, because it was really difficult when you look at new business registrations to kind of see from the start is this a firm that's aiming to grow exponentially or are the business registrations that are being filed? Are those businesses aiming to be successful local firms? So we, we have a new lens on kind of the distribution and the composition of startup formation. And that really gave us an opportunity to study the impact of the introduction of R&D tax credits in a whole new way. And I should also say that another thing that motivated us was from the fiscal policy perspective, what we had seen is we had seen a lot of policymakers say we're introducing state R&D tax credits for the purpose of catalyzing entrepreneurship. So we saw that increasingly as a reason why those tax credits were being offered at the state level, in addition, of course, to motivating investment in R&D by established firms. And so our startup cartography project, when combined with this panel database, allowed us to kind of look at are these R and D state level R and D tax credits working to catalyze growth entrepreneurship? So that that also was what motivated us.
2: Fantastic! Thank you very much for that very very helpful explanation. And, and I know you covered a couple of things which I'd love to to dive into a little bit deeper as we go along our discussion today. So besides, you know, of course, the tax policy changes, changes in business activity, the fact that your study went beyond. You know, just formation, right? You looked at quality of, of the firms and the growth of local economic systems. Your study also compares state-level credits to state-level investment tax credits, right? So comparing R&D to, to ITCs. What's the major differences between them? And then how does the R&D credit prove to be more beneficial to startups?
1: Great question. And thank you for asking that. The focus of R&D tax credits and investment tax credits is different, right? R&D tax credits try to incentivize investment in research and experimentation. So investment in innovation. Investment tax credits, and obviously I'm, I'm speaking at very high and general level, seek to incentivize investment in current facilities. It's a different focus and provides different incentives to where an established company's dollars might go you know, we looked at investment tax credits as a a way to kind of assess what we were seeing on the R&D state level tax credit side. And so what we saw for R&D tax credits is that the introduction of R&D tax credits Increased in terms of startup formation, increased both the quantity of startup formation as well as its growth potential. And pretty much in equal measure, like didn't increase kind of quantity more than what we call quality, which is this exponential growth potential that I talked about. That's, that's just our shorthand term for it. So we saw in our findings the introduction of state-level R&D tax credits increase the quantity and quality of startup formation by about 7% apiece. But we didn't see the same thing on the investment tax credit side. And in fact, we saw that the introduction of investment tax credits might actually have a crowding out effect relative to growth entrepreneurship in particular. So another thing we did is we kind of, we looked at the impact of state-level R&D tax credits over time. And we saw that over a long period of time over 10 years there was a cumulative effect in the rate of new business formation of around 20% over a 10 year period which is which is really quite dramatic in our eyes but we don't see the same impact from investment tax credit in fact over that 10 year time frame The crowding out that I mentioned, investment tax credits tend to, to lead to a 12% decrease in entrepreneurship. So it, it, you know, while, while exactly how these mechanisms work and the interaction between the two would be the subject for future research, there's at least the potential in the providing incentives for companies to invest in existing facilities might be diverting kind of their investments away from innovation and into current facilities, if that makes sense.
0: cross-border solutions recently relaunched transfer pricing university, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables, to preparing documentation to meet country specific regulations. Good stuff. I know chief economist Mimi song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for transfer pricing university weekly classes are free so now you really have no reason to miss it sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu
2: and i actually want to dive a little bit deeper into that piece right so you mentioned the study finds that companies claiming r&d see a 20 percent rise in high quality new firm formation over that 10-year period you mentioned right in terms of, of the details, right? I know you've talked to us a little bit already about the startup cartography project and the Upjohn panel data, but can you, can you take this a, just a little bit further, right? How did you come to this conclusion itself? And then do the results align with some of the expectations you had going into this study?
1: Great question so how did we come to this conclusion we're we're really looking kind of at the county level at the ecosystem level and not at the company by company level right because what we're able to see is in our research is how these kind of formation rates change over time and so we were expecting based on work by others that have been done in the past, that there would be an impact. So we were expecting that, but we didn't know how would this impact, if at all, the difference in the types of firms that were being founded, right? The difference is that R&D tax credits at the state level often are most helpful to established firms and that's because you you might not be able to qualify for a tax credit if you don't have tax liability and a lot of startups really early on may not be earning any money they may not have tax liability or in order to claim the credit they may have to carry forward their tax credits kind of 10 years into the future, which many state tax credits allow them to do. But so, so what we're seeing is that these R&D, state-level R&D tax credits, are setting the table for additional entrepreneurship and, in particular, high-growth entrepreneurship over the longer term they may not be having this kind of immediate direct effect but they're setting the table they're creating local clusters where investments in innovation are being made. And so when we when we did time series when we looked over time, it was really exciting for us to see this kind of cluster based innovation effect at the county level at the ecosystem level. And then we can think about, although we don't know for sure, how those spillovers are actually coming to fruition. Is it that companies kind of are attracting scientists and researchers to the area who over time are forming firms, for example? Is it that these investments in innovation are leading to regional expertise, which is then attracting new firms. The exact mechanism we don't know, but we know that if these types of fiscal policies are implemented and then maintained over the long term, it's exciting to see that it can make a difference in both the kind of level of startup formation overall as well as as kind of this increase not only in the quantity of, of new form formation but in the growth potential too
2: understood and you know I know you you analyze this over you know a, a 10 year period and you know for maybe a lot of members in the audience you know ten years seems like a, a really long time for you know a startup business what advice do you have for these types of growing companies that are you know hesitant about this you know setting the stage or the slow and steady pace of the effect
1: right again our research is speaking at the policy level and directly to economic development policymakers who are trying to kind of grow regions by encouraging these investments in innovation, another thing, and I'll get to your question, I promise. I know it seems like I'm being roundabout here, but another thing that we found in our research is that while state-level R&D tax credits kind of set the table for this type of entrepreneurship, they don't necessarily improve the performance of high-growth firms. My advice to policymakers is that state level tax credits are important for local and regional development, but they're not the answer. They're one piece of the answer, but they're not the total answer. And so local programs that help us support innovation driven firms that are getting started and seeking to scale are Also, in my view, a key piece of the puzzle so i 'm first going to encourage fiscal policymakers to see their piece as one part of a bigger whole and to kind of join with other stakeholders in their states to to try and fill in these other pieces of the puzzle now, kind of getting to the really talented people that consider a starting innovation driven firms or that aspire to this exponential growth that I mentioned, I would encourage them to seek out the programs that might be so critical to help them succeed. Some of those might come in the form of incubators and accelerators that kind of bring together uh, stakeholders from the different groups that can be so important to supporting these startups as they try and scale whether that be venture capital or the access to the different types of finance that those groups need mentors that might be able to help them kind of learn from the experience of others as they're trying to chart their own path connections that might help them gain access to markets and customers. All of those pieces are so important. And those programs are present and very helpful in a lot of ecosystems right now. So kind of learn from others and seek out these incubators and accelerators that can really help firms. In their earliest stages.
2: So, in this piece, you know, you touched on earlier that the, the combination of R and D and ITC credits, you know, may actually do more more harm than good. We've talked about the analysis over the ten year period and, and how this works. If, if you could just help sort of clarify a little bit in your study, you dive into quality and quantity, and focusing on just R and D, how does the state R and tax credit impact both quality? and quantity.
1: Another great question, exactly how and the mechanisms and the channels through which the state R&D tax credit impacts both is a subject for future research we have in our paper identified some of the ways that it might be although our research doesn't get us to exactly kind of disentangling it's this channel it's this channel versus Versus that one. So one of the ways that it might impact the high growth form of entrepreneurship, the, what we call in shorthand entrepreneurial quality is by strengthening local clusters of economic activity. Boston, which is where I'm based, has a bunch of those, right? It has a biotech cluster and a lot of companies that specialize in that, Moderna, Pfizer, both located here. So not only do we have a lot of established Companies in that, what I'm loosely calling that economic cluster or sector, we've got a lot of people with a lot of specialized expertise, as well as a lot of startups. So it's a knowledge base, it's a center of economic activity that makes it a good place if you are a a startup in that area to be because there's a high-quality workforce here. There's a lot of investments going on. And R&D tax credits can be one piece of supporting and sustaining investment in that cluster. So that is one way in which we hypothesize or one channel in which R&D tax credits might support quality. There's also, you know, people, they move from firm to firm or they might leave an established firm to do their own startup, right? That might be another way in which R&D tax credits might indirectly kind of set the stage. You're investing in these areas, you're investing in people who might later, leave to go do something else in this region, if that makes sense. On the quantity side, kind of the startup formation piece, the more local-oriented firms, they might develop in the area to support the other economic activity that's going on here, right? So there might be lots of local businesses that develop and are built around serving The innovation clusters that are happening here, so the firms behind the firms, so to speak, are also indirectly supported by the R&D tax credit. And that is what we surmise is going on here and one of the reasons why it may take time for the R&D tax credits kind of set the table for these types of entrepreneurship and for that entrepreneurship to take root.
0: software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions, transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai. That's xbs.ai slash TP. I know
2: the study itself that was conducted by you and your team, you know, started before this COVID-19 pandemic. Do you think that what's going on or what's been going on now for the last year will impact the percentage rate or the timeline of new firm formation?
1: Absolutely. As the startup cartography project continues, one of the things that we're looking at right now is the impact of the pandemic and policy response to that pandemic on, uh, startup formation. And in fact, we're doing that right now. I'm, I'm late for another call to push our research forward on that issue exactly. So. I think what's been observed by many, us as well as folks at the census that put out business formation statistics, is that startup formation rates 2020 relative to 2019 took a big dive in the early part of 2020 around the March and April time period when the pandemic really the impact of the pandemic really started to be felt across the country. What's been observed over the course of the year is that startup formation rates not only rebounded, but 2020 ended with a surge in new form formation. And so more new businesses were registered in 2020 at the end of the year than had ever been registered before. And so one of the things we're now looking at is can we understand at a deeper level by combining our business where we're, you know, pulling business registration filings from U.S. states across the country, can we take a look at that and see if we can better understand the composition of the new firms that are being formed? Are they mainly kind of local firms or are they mainly these high growth potential firms. And so we're still in the earliest stages of better understanding that you'll have to check in with us in another couple of weeks, and then we'll have more findings. But what I will say is that given the hit that the U.S. economy and the world economy has taken as a result of the pandemic, I think we need local firms and high growth firms and we need a lot of both. New form formation and kind of entrepreneurship over the longer term is a net measure. You can't just look at new business starts. It's new business starts relative to deaths. And unfortunately, a lot of small businesses have closed in light of this pandemic. So while we're very excited to see the boom in new business starts, we need to take a look at the net rate of new business formation, you know, what type of new formation is happening and then kind of tailor our policy response to the type of new business formation and the type of support that they need to actually survive and scale.
2: Understood. And to wrap all that up in a bow, so to speak, so how do you think state-level R&D credits can help with this economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic and, and some of the other things you're talking about?
1: I think that they are a big piece of the puzzle, right? And a piece that will help over the longer term make the sum greater than just the addition of its individual pieces. In the near term, we need to build back this base of local Businesses, we need Main Street and Main Street firms. And so the emphasis that we see on like the PPP loans and support to bring back and help these Main Street firms is absolutely needed. Over the long term, if we want to return our economies to a growth state, we're going to need to support these high potential growth firms. We're going to need to encourage them to be founded in the first place and support their survival and scale over the longer term. So, yes, we're kind of we're in a crisis right now. And Main Street is key to building the on-ramp out of that crisis. But that maintaining those state-level R&D tax credits and the patient and long-term support of those R&D tax credits at the state level, the kind of patient encouragement of investment in innovation is going to sustain and maintain those innovation clusters that I talked about and then set the table for economy wide growth over the long term. So it's a critical piece of the puzzle that we can't let go of, and that we have to patiently support.
2: So Kathy, why is the focus on entrepreneurship and startups as compared to big businesses such a vital part for economic growth?
1: Entrepreneurship is such a big part of economic growth because a number of studies have shown that most kind of job creation comes not just from small firms, but from young firms. The churn that we see, and I'm speaking at at really macro levels here, the churn that we see in terms of new business creation, net new business creation, which has some businesses exiting and new businesses forming, Is a reallocation of people and talent and human capital to hopefully activities that are higher value to them. So kind of net new business creation and which is, you know, entrepreneurship is where this dynamism economic dynamism comes from and that's why startup creation is a focus of policymakers when there's economic trouble because it's kind of an engine of this dynamism but as i mentioned before it's one piece of a bigger puzzle and established firms are anchors in ecosystems, the investments that they make in research and development, the kind of capabilities that they bring in terms of kind of supply and operations and pushing things forward are valuable. And the people that they train and the partnerships and the collaborations that they form can be critical for these high growth potential firms. So yes, you need startups and they're just a central piece of maintaining economic dynamism and growth, but you need the big firms as well. I hate to say it, but we need everything.
2: So Kathy, what do you ultimately want the takeaway from the study to be in terms of what entrepreneurs and policymakers will associate with the R&D tax credit at a state level?
1: I want them to associate innovation and long-term opportunity with that credit and want them to to kind of see that credit as one piece of broader state-level support for innovation ecosystems. You know, one piece of kind of looking at, am I founding my business in an area that's supporting the trajectory I'm shooting for, right? Am I building my business in a place that's investing in innovation over the longer term. And also to kind of keep an eye out for any states that might be thinking about ending the R&D tax credit or retiring it, to push back against that because it's an important part of maintaining kind of vibrant local clusters of innovation activity. Let me end by just saying thank you for great questions on a great topic that, in my view, gets far too little attention. So I just, I really appreciate the focus and the time and attention you put on shepherding this conversation and so appreciate your interest in our research. Thank you.
0: I just want to thank Catherine and Rahim both for a wonderful discussion on the importance of state-level R&D tax credits on entrepreneurship. I especially want to thank Kathy for being with us today. You can find the study, The Impact of State-Level Research and Development Tax Credits on the Quantity and Quality of Entrepreneurship in Economic Development Quarterly. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's Fiona's RD Tax Credit podcast. And we'll fill you in on the RD tax credits in every episode. This podcast was engineered by some guy named Matthew DeMello. The interview portion of today's episode was edited by Andrew O'Donnell. Also, some guy named Matthew DeMello hosted this episode. Mary Lynn Mitchum Strom is our executive producer. For CPE credits, please send an email to the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. Today's show ran for about 35 minutes so that's going to be two-fifths of a cpe credit we'll catch everyone next week